when I was in college at Geneva, I had the opportunity uh, traveling with uh, the Genevans uh, touring choir uh, to go a lot of places. Um, got to sing in Royal Albert Hall, got to sing um, around the world, really, uh, many, many places. One of my favorites to sing was in Selma, Alabama. Um, I got to stay with the family in that church, and uh, the choir sang on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, then after church, they had a feast, a feast like I've never seen before, um, where all the families who were a part of that church, instead of going to their homes and having their Easter dinners, brought it all to the church, and we all feasted together. First time I ever had collard greens. I'm still trying to find ones as good as those that I had that day. Uh, the first time I had a, a proper sweet potato pie or pecan pie, and I will never forget the hospitality of that church. And so I was hit this morning by that news in a way that I wasn't expected to be hit by that. And as I shed these tears, it is quite pr proper for our text today. Luke 19, 41 through 48. When do we cry? <laughs> when do we cry? When we're sad? When we're angry? When we feel compassion for someone else, for something that they're going through? cry in our anxiety, in our fear, and we also cry when we're happy. Think about that. We cry when we feel just about every emotion imaginable to the human condition. Some of us cry more than others, myself included. I have a friend who lovingly calls me the weeping prophet since I often cry when I'm preaching. We often associate our tears with sadness, but our tears mean so much more. They're actually a sign of our health, of our humanity. There are studies that have been done that show that we actually feel better after we cry. They release things in us that no, nothing else can release. They, cl are, they cleanse us. In his book, The Valiant Papers, Calvin Miller, who was a longtime pastor and professor at Beeson Divinity School, says, crying is common in this world. It does little good to ask the reason for it. One might call this a weeping planet. Laughter can be heard here and there, but by and large, weeping predominates. With maturity, the sound and reason for crying changes, but it never stops. All infants do it everywhere, even in public. By adulthood, most crying is done alone and in the dark. Weeping for babies is a sign of health and evidence that they are alive. Isn't this a chilling omen? Not laughter, but tears is the sign of life. It leaves weeping 
and being synonyms. This morning, Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Many, many, many commentators have tried to parse out what exact emotions and feelings cause him to weep. Jesus, being fully human, likely wept due to sadness, anger, fear, and maybe some even level of anxiety in his life and in the life of those in Jerusalem. Let's read Luke 19, 41 through 48. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon in another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus. And I pray that as we come to your word today, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we would know who you are and who we are in light of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we jumped back into our series in the Gospel of Luke called Certainty in Christ. And we looked at what is often referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the final week of Jesus' ministry before he dies on the cross. Jesus is about to embark on an epic battle of universal proportions, a battle against Satan, sin, and death. As we come to the, came to the text last week, we were being confronted once again with our response to who Jesus is and our preparedness to receive him as king. This is, as we mentioned, the meaning of the season that we had just come out of of Advent, our readiness to receive Jesus as king. And we saw that Jesus is the promised king. We looked at our preparation and our response. Today, we pick up in the context of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He's still on his way into the city in the midst of the multitude of his disciples, praising him and celebrating the coming Messiah into the city of God, Jesus is weeping over the city. Just as days before he wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. Luke does not tell us of this encounter at the tomb of Lazarus. We know that from the Gospel of John. And yet... Knowing the timeline, these two events happen just days apart. And we see 
the compassion of Jesus is found in his crying and his cleaning. First in his crying, as I mentioned, Jesus weeps just days before when he raised Lazarus from the dead. The text in John says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus did not remove himself from the sufferings of his fellow humans. The fact that he is one with us in our humanity means that he is one in us with our agony. Jesus is one with us in our need. He feels our pain. He lives our experience from the inside. His tears at that moment authentically expressed the emotion, the emotions that he was feeling. His, this, his friend's death, Lazarus' friend, it is the death itself that is the object of his wrath. And behind death is the one who wields the power of death, the one that he had come into the world to destroy. Tears of compassion and sympathy fill his eyes. But it's also tears of anger and rage. He advances towards the tomb in Calvin's words as a champion who prepares for conflict. He comes to do battle with death. And the life he brings is primarily this eternal life, literally the life of the age, the life of the long-awaited kingdom of God. And Jesus fills out these claims to their fullest proportion. The life he gives is nothing less than the indestructible life of the resurrection, the very life of the deathless God himself. It is not just a gift for the future, but is a gift for here and now that Jesus gives in the face of death. Even knowing the work that he was about to do, even knowing the work that he would do on the cross, Jesus weeps because of death. The prophet Jeremiah also wept over Jerusalem. He lamented the destruction of Jerusalem in the first temple in 587 B.C., and it's implied that he was weeping for the same reasons as Jesus, ignoring God's call through his prophets to repent and to seek the Lord, who alone supplies true peace. Jesus weeps over a city just as he wept at the tomb of his friend. At the tomb of his friend, he weeps over death, the compassion that he has, but also the anger that seeds inside of him for the destruction that death brings. But he also weeps 
over a city that does not know. A city that has rejected him. A city that because of their rejection will experience the same fate that the city experienced in Jeremiah's day. A destruction, a leveling of the city, of the temple where enemies will surround, where enemies will destroy, and they will not leave one stone upon another because they did not know the time of his visitation, the time that he had come to them. Jerusalem is guilty of not understanding who Jesus is and not recognizing that he had come to bring peace. Jerusalem's fall, just as it was in the days of Jeremiah, was not knowing and worshiping the one true God who had visited them who had been with them, who had led them. Jesus' coming was God's gracious visitation. His gracious visitation to Israel, to Jerusalem, and to all peoples. And it is ironic that the name of a city that has peace within it, Salem, does not recognize peace when he comes to them. This is the consequence that will befall them in 70 AD when Roman armies surround the city and level it to destruction. Jesus says this is not because of some uprisings that take place or because the Romans are overly zealous. Jesus says that this destruction comes because they have rejected him. He did not know the time of your visitation. The Messiah has come and Israel has said no. Opportunity for peace has come, but the nation opted for a destruction. There was every reason for them to have welcomed Jesus just as the disciples had and yet they rejected God's Messiah. And now they would live with the consequences of their rejection. And Jesus weeps because of that. Jesus has visited just as he had on that day in Jerusalem. Jesus has visited 
He comes to every one of us. Bringing peace to all those who would hear the words of peace. Bringing hope, bringing mercy, bringing grace. And yet Jesus weeps for those who will not hear, who do not respond, who do not welcome him. He weeps because he knows what befalls them. Jesus Maybe weeping for you this morning. He may be, as he did on that day, would that you, even you, had known the day, the things that make for peace, that you would know the time of your visitation. this is you this morning, do not deny the day of your visitation. Do not reject this Jesus who comes to you. He is a weeping Savior, one who weeps over death, over destruction, even in the midst of the hope of eternal life that he brings with him. But he also is one who cleanses, who makes new. To all those who receive him, he cleanses as he does the temple. He is a crying and cleaning Savior. The Old Testament clearly prophesied that the cleansing of the temple was a a sign that the end was at hand. Zechariah, Malachi, Ezekiel all prophesied that the cleansing of the temple would be the sign that the end was at hand. Once again, the Lord returns to his temple Right? The presence of the Lord had departed from the temple years and years and years before. Now the presence of God in the flesh has once again entered the temple. He did so in his presentation and his mother's purification at the beginning of Luke's gospel. At the age of 12, when he came to the temple for Passover and learned under the priests. In Malachi chapter 3, the Lord returns to the temple. And in Malachi 3, 1 and 3, 2, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? 
Jesus' first act in this Passion Week, in the Great Week, is to cleanse the temple to make it fit for his teaching. The temple will become the place where he teaches during these final days, and it must be cleansed so that the holiness of God in the flesh in Jesus could dwell in the holy place. To once again have God's presence in the temple. To clean out the space where the Gentiles were allowed to come in. The outer courts. So that all nations might come to the king, to the Messiah. Jesus cleanses the temple that those who received him would come and know him, be taught by him, ultimately be saved by him. He comes crying over the sin of his people. He comes to clean out that which will bring destruction. Brothers and sisters, he is the same for us today. He weeps over our sin. He weeps over those who will not receive him. And he comes to cleanse us, to make us a holy temple where he might dwell in us and with us. A people of his own care, a people of his own that he might dwell with. He comes to cleanse, to cleanse us of our sin, but also to cleanse us of all the ways in which we are not rightly his church. call us to renewal, to renew the ways in which we have been called to follow him, to re-surrender our lives as individuals and as a church. Jesus knows. He knows the sorrows and sins of his people. He is angry over the sin that destroys. He has compassion for those who are caught in the trap of sin. He weeps 
in both cases. He calls his people to weep with him, to weep over the things of this world that bring death and destruction, and to follow him in his mission to cleanse that which will destroy. to bring hope and healing in the name of Christ and all the places that bring tears. The one who weeps, Jesus, is the one who will wipe away every tear. And as we await that day, when all of our tears will be wiped away, We follow our weeping Savior. We weep over the things that caused him to weep. And we bring hope in his name as he has given us hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. Lord, that you are indeed the one who has come. One who has wept over us. And Lord, not only wept over us, but Lord, that you went to the cross for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to know the cleansing power of your spirit at work in us and through us, both individually and corporately. And Lord, may we be those who weep, not because we do not know, not because there is no hope, but Lord, that we weep over the things that caused your son, our savior, to weep. And Lord, as we weep, may we bring the hope that there is in Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.